0: This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell. Joining me today in the studio is the Toledo Symphony's Marketing Director, Vanessa Gardner. And by phone, we have Principal Second Violin and Artistic Administrator, Merwin Sue, And also by phone, we have a very special guest...
1: <laughs> that is our guest
0: conductor coming up this weekend, Enrico Lopez Yanez. He is the principal pops conductor of the Nashville Symphony. Enrico, welcome to Toledo Symphony Lab.
2: Thank you so much. And wow, what an introduction. I wish, you know, every time my name was announced, it came with that kind of fanfare. That's pretty impressive.
0: Thank you.
3: How did you get all those people in the studio,
0: Brad? <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, it's all downhill from here. <laughs> So, Enrico Lopez-Yanez, you're making your Toledo Symphony debut with this uh, concert, right?
2: That's correct. I'm very excited. I can't wait.
0: Yeah, well, we can't wait to have you. I should mention it's called Strings from the Silver Screen, and it is this Saturday, January 23rd at 8 p.m. You can stream this concert. Uh, There will not be an in-house audience, but you can stream the concert live That is at stream.artstoledo.com. You can find more information at 419-246-8000 if you want to use the phone. And just uh, remember that uh, you can also stream all those concerts after the fact, including the wonderful uh, cornucopia of concerts (laughs) that the Toledo Symphony has (laughs) to offer. That, again, is online at stream.artstoledo.com. So, Enrico, we're going to talk about film music today because that is what you're centering on this weekend. I imagine as a Pops conductor you, you do a lot of uh, film music as well. Can you start by telling us a little bit of your story? And here's what I'd like to do. We're, I, I've got a lot of Mozart queued up today for two reasons. Uh, the first reason being that um, it's public domain, and I can air it, and, <laughs> and, and people can download it. The second reason being that uh, Mozart's music has made a lot of appearances in, in movies throughout the years, and we'll talk about that and do a little quiz a little bit later. But So having said all of that, what I'm going to do is uh, play the opening of the Symphony Number no. 1 of Mozart, which he wrote when he was eight years old. So I want you, Enrico, to take us back to uh, when you were eight years old, right? (laughs) Okay. Let's let's see if we can do that. I'll take you back a little bit here.
4: (laughs) I'm imagining Wayne and Garth. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I love this symphony, by the way. Symphony number one (laughs) of Mozart. Okay. Oh, oh, Enrico, are you still there?
2: I'm still here. Okay.
0: Take us back to when you were like eight or thereabouts. Around eight, sure.
2: Um, well, I I grew up in a very musical family, so both of my parents were musicians. Uh, my father is an opera singer. He's an operatic tenor, and my mom is a pianist, and that's actually how they met, was through music. My my father, though, he was born and raised in Mexico, uh, later in his life decided to pursue singing and came to the United States, and he met my mother through needing to find an accompanist to play for his concerts and for his, you know.
0: That, that's the oldest story in the book, Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, he was a tuner after all.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: That's right. He, w- the story goes that he did eventually start making up other competitions that were <laughs> non-existent so that they could continue to <laughs> rehearse Aww. together. Um, Excellent. And Sweet. so things worked out and we got married. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my father traveled a lot, uh, though we were eventually based in California. Uh, we traveled with him a lot so when i was young i i grew up going around to some of the greatest opera houses in the world and just sitting in the audience watching my dad perform uh operas ranging from a lot of you know rossini and donizetti operas early on and then eventually he moved into puccini Verdi, uh larger you know heavier works for tenor yeah. and so the magic of the theater the magic of the orchestra. It was always in my life and the thing that really inspired my, my career path. I, I initially thought I was going to go into specifically operatic conducting. Um, but when I was young, around, around eight years old, I, I started on the piano it was my first instrument because my mom was a pianist. And as any of you who have ever had a parent try to teach you anything, may be able to relate to. It was incredibly frustrating having my mom be my teacher um, because I could hear her from across the house screaming at me anytime I played the wrong note or, you know, she could tell I was using the wrong fingerings or something, getting tripped up. And I was like, I know, I know. There was just no private practice moment. Um, So at the first opportunity I had, I switched instruments and I actually switched to the trumpet at that time. Um, So in in the fifth grade, I joined the fifth grade band on trumpet. And the other instrument that I had always wanted to play, in addition to trumpet, was the drums. And so a year later, uh, around the same time, coincidentally, that my parents separated, my dad also bought me a drum set as sort of a parting gift, I think, <laughs> to my mom. So wow. at the house, I now had a new drum set to play, which she loved, obviously. Uh, and uh, so throughout you know, middle school and high school, I played... Of course, in the school band, in the after-school jazz band, in the city youth orchestra, but also things like rock bands and mariachi ensembles. I played in a klezmer group. I mean, you name it. I kind of played in all these different genres, which I eventually realized equipped me really well to be a, a pops conductor and and work in all the different genres that one has to when when you attend a pops concert. Yeah, so that's that's kind of where the love grew and the interest and, and the passion grew for what I get to do now, which, which has been fantastic. <laughs>
0: wow. Well, that's a great story. I mean, I think I've used up my entire soundboard there, but that's okay. <laughs> um, so you're in Nashville, right? That's right. Yeah. So you're conducting with the uh, Nashville Symphony at Pops concerts. So now this concert that's happening on Saturday is all about film music and it's using the strings to uh, play music from the films. Uh, do we know what's going to be on the concert at all? Do we know some of the, the, the favorite selections that we might hear?
2: We do. Uh, it's it's actually a really great concert because it, it spans several decades of cinematic favorites. Uh, so we'll sort of roughly trace some cinematic history starting with things like classic films from uh, film scores from Bernard Herman's Psycho. Uh, we'll play uh. a little bit of uh, some tributes to, to you know, some of the Broadway crossovers from film to stage crossovers like Richard Rodgers' music. Uh, there will be some appearances of classical music and where it has found its place in the cinema and moving all the way forward to recent films from disney to scores by john williams that really expands the gamut of the cinematic history
0: yeah well uh i mean you can't have strings from the silver screen without that psycho theme right with the (laughs) violins screeching uh, as they are um let's talk a little bit about film music in general i mean it seems to serve different purposes depending on what the director wants or or mm-hmm. how the music is underscoring the story or maybe just the emotions. Um, wh- why don't we start by talking about our favorite film composers, and I'm talking about music written actually for a movie, right, as opposed to music being used in a movie. Um, Enrico, do you want to start us off with just a, a quick rundown of, of the composers that you admire working in, in film music?
2: Of course. Um, I've, I've had the pleasure to of working with a couple and certainly conducting a lot of, you know, now, nowadays, one of the very popular things is for orchestras to perform these movies in concert, where they project the movies and the orchestra accompanies it. Um, I, I, of course, have to acknowledge who I think is quite possibly one of the greatest just American composers, period, whether or not it's for the movies or not, which is John Williams. Mm. Um, I I really think his skill and and the kind, the vastness of his repertoire that he has brought and has really placed movie music on a just brand new level and scale. Um, There are a lot of other great contemporary composers, of course, Uh, Michael Giacchino, uh, Alan Menken, you know Howard Shore there are just a vast range of composers out there right now that are doing really great writing and and of course classic composer you know Bernard Herrmann has so many incredible classic scores like Psycho and Psycho being one that was just so unique because it's one of the few s- s- cinematic scores that is actually composed for just strings yeah um, there's nothing else other than the string orchestra in that movie which is really unique and so incredibly interesting how he used the string ensemble to create all the different emotions that are in that film.
0: Yeah. You know, that's interesting. I want to talk about that for a minute because, you know, I'll make a confession here. I never actually put that together that it was just strings, but it, mm-hmm. it really is like, like from the, the churning music that you hear when, when she's escaping, you know, yeah. in, in the beginning. Alert. To to the, I yeah, don't want to tell you how it ends. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, turn off your radio. But uh, and then, of course, the screeching strings during the, uh, the the murder scene with the knife and the chocolate syrup and what have you, all of that, all of that done with the strings. Can we talk yeah. about the expressive nature of, of of strings and the different kinds of sounds they're able to make? I mean, people can hear in their minds those. High pitched string, you know, gestures that imitate right. the knife plunging into into her, um, <laughs> and the shower curtain coming down. But what are what are some of the different ways that the strings can express themselves uh, on the screen? Sure. I mean,
2: I, I know Merwin. You can probably speak to this even better than I can. But I, I'll just say that strings are one of the most diverse groups of instruments in the orchestra, in that they really play such a key role in so many genres of music. And part of that is that they do have so many sort of extended or unique extra technique abilities that they have, whether it's, of course, playing it in a traditional fashion, whether it's plucking the strings, whether it's tapping on the strings with the wood of the bow rather than the hairs of the bow, you know, sometimes even tapping the physical body of the instrument or you know all kinds of ways you can move and manipulate your left hand to create different sounds and it's just an instrument that composers have really explored very deeply because they've been around of course for centuries and so as a result we have all these unique effects and sounds that can be created by these very traditional and beloved instruments
0: yeah well merwin you're a string player you agree with
2: that Oh, I totally disagree. We're very
3: (laughs) 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 monochromatic. (laughs) <laughs> no, I would I would I would absolutely agree with that. I think one of the things that that helps so much as well is when you go from the lowest um note that the double bass can play, especially with that extension, all the way to the highest notes of the violin, there's just a huge pitch frequency range and that can really communicate so much. Um and I think the other thing that I think is really interesting is there's so much kind of ability to um because of the way that the fingers can vibrate back and forth, you can very much imitate the feeling of a human voice Mm -hmm. in that, so it can mimic the vibrations that a voice makes when they're singing. And so I think in that sense, there's a very human quality that speaks very much to the heart. So I think I would just add those couple little things to what Enrico
0: said. Yeah. Now, are these all, uh, for the most part, arrangements for the string orchestra of of themes from these movies that we're going to hear?
2: Uh some are and some are not you know for the Bernard Herrmann for example this is the original scoring I mean it's obviously not the full film so it's a short right. suite extracted from Uh same thing with some of the, the classical repertoire and a few yes have been adapted for this ensemble given that during COVID times, we cannot fit, you know, 80 to 100 musicians on stage right. safely. So, yeah, right. these are adaptations.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, Enrico, I know you have some some experience doing these kind of virtual offerings. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about your experience in that arena as of late?
2: Sure. I, I have to say that it has been unique and posed new challenges, of course, for orchestras around the country and around the world, that we are not used to, but thankfully orchestras have been adapting quickly and being able to offer these, which I think is such a great way to continue to connect to our audiences in the community and, and bring forth art, which as we all know, we are, in desperate need of during these times is consuming something that's positive and good for our souls and through offering the orchestra even if it can't be in person right now at least we're able to bring some art into the homes of of our our beloved audience members and you know some of the things that i i would point out are, are unique and challenges that may not be obvious at first is you know, the big thing is social distancing on stages and, and different combinations of instrumentations that, that you may not typically see on stage as, as often. You know, it's, it's unique for, for players who are used to being in very close proximity to their colleagues who are able to then hear a particular way. If you've played in an orchestra for 20, 30, 40 years, now all of a sudden you're being sat at opposite corners of the stage in places where you personally may have never sat before and trying to hear members of the orchestra who are now sitting, you know, 30 additional feet further from you than you're used to. Mm. Um so that there are some definite challenges um but th- what I've noticed is that orchestras have been adapting well and taking that in stride and of course these are all highly trained professionals so we have Great, great positive attitude, willing to be flexible in order to keep doing the thing that we love and that we hope our audiences are are equally as, as big of fans and passionate about.
0: Yeah, I can tell that this has been on your radar for some time, these sorts of concerts. Um, we're talking with conductor Enrico Lopez-Yanez here on Toledo Symphony Lab. He's coming to the, uh, is it in the Peristyle that you guys are performing yes. this concert? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's coming to the Peristyle. It's this weekend. You can catch the live stream Saturday, January 23rd at 8 p.m. It's at stream.artstoledo.com. All of the Toledo Symphony content is up there for your streaming pleasure. Again, at stream.artstoledo.com. Um, Enrico, have you been to Toledo before? I know this is your, your debut with the symphony. Have you ever been in our area before?
2: I have not. This will be my first time. I've been to Ohio several times, but not to
0: Toledo specifically. Wow. Anybody have recommendations for, uh, Enrico of, of must see under quarantine Toledo <laughs> experiences? <laughs>
4: If the sun comes out, <laughs> yeah. which is a big if, <laughs> uh, I highly recommend taking a stroll through one of the metro parks oh, um, yeah. or uh, or just strolling down downtown by the water. It's just really beautiful.
0: Yeah, if you like to get outdoors, even in the cold, yeah. uh, metro parks do, are yeah. a, a great way to explore. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful parks that we have here. Merwin, you have something you were going to add?
3: Oh, absolutely. I think that... Uh, um... The museum is now. Um, oh, it's it's still it's still open for for a socially distanced number of visitors, and I think it's a wonderful museum to to visit.
0: Yeah, I, I personally would recommend that you go see the uh, Toledo Symphony. I think they give great concerts. <laughs> uh, so maybe make... number one on my list. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent. So glad that I thought of it. Um, <laughs> Let's talk a little bit more. You mentioned uh, John Williams. Uh, I mean, he's one of my favorite film composers also. And part of it is because he has such a a classical, you know, a grounding. I think back to the 1970s and Star Wars movies and things like that. I was maybe 13 years old when that came out. Um, It really really, really got me interested in classical music. And that was sort of a gateway for me into this whole symphonic world, you know, that, that I've been exploring ever since then. And I imagine for a lot of other folks, it, it had a similar function. Um Vanessa, you're nodding your head as I say this. Yes. I, I mean, you're a horn player yeah. and, and you're working as marketing director at the symphony. Um, what role did film music or symphonic, you know, traditional kind of film music play in in your tastes oh, growing up?
4: John Williams is the reason I play the French horn. I mean, that is some of the most incredible writing for horn, and and it is extremely difficult. And um, some of the tonalities and the um, the harmonies and the clusters that he writes for horn are incredibly difficult. Yeah. Um, but it it, it I mean, when you hear John Williams writing for French horn in any movie score, I mean, how can you not help but want to go (laughs) play that instrument? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I just I mean, every single every single Pops concert I've ever done with any John Williams music, I'm just like, bring it. I don't care how how badly my face is bent out of shape at the end i just i, I want it all it's so fun it's
0: uh, there's something to be said with uh, the idea of like listening to john williams makes you want to play the horn and listening to bernard herman's psycho makes you want to play a string instrument <laughs> hopefully right? it doesn't make you want to kill anyone <laughs> in the shower exactly <laughs> exactly well the day is young as they say um merwin what, what do you think about composers like John Williams, I mean, I think you can trace, you know, go back and trace a direct line between somebody like Korngold, you know, and, and Williams, those kind of swashbuckler Errol Flynn movies, the way that that music unfolds throughout the film and the way that Williams uses his his music as well. And, you know, even going back to the leitmotifs, or the themes mm-hmm. of Richard Wagner and his operas, Um, It it seems like there is much more of a direct line, sort of a a classical pedigree for somebody like John Williams than there is for somebody like John Carpenter, for instance. You (laughs) You, you want to talk about that a little bit?
3: Well, I think that it's it's interesting because I didn't actually grow up. Um, seeing those movies in theaters, and I think there's kind of that lack of that visceral effect. So, so for me, it wasn't so much. Oh, I saw Star Wars in the theaters, and it that cinematic music. Was kind of my gateway into classical music. Um, I'm actually coming to a lot of these soundtracks when I'm older, or when I'm introducing them to my kids. So, I mean, yesterday night I was uh, watching the Harry Potter, the first Harry Potter movie, with my eight-year-old, and he was who's just going through the books for the first time, and. I'm almost having that kind of second hand thrill of watching him just um be immersed in these amazing scores and um that quidditch scene, mm. which is basically like the French horn marathon yeah. Yeah. i mean that i mean i i have played the movie and I'm just listening to it and thinking, Oh my gosh, those poor faces you know <laughs> i
4: um I played a concert a couple of years ago where the, uh we had some Harry Potter music. On the program, and the conductor had never seen any of the Harry Potter films, uh-huh. wow. so he had absolutely no idea how these scenes unfolded or what the yeah. emotion or the um, the vibe was for for, um, for the the films. And and so I was getting really frustrated. I was playing first horn, and he just had absolutely no clue. And um, he he then finally confessed to the orchestra that he didn't know what was going on here, mm. and I just. It, I couldn't even stop myself. I was like, oh, this is when they enter the Great Hall and it's very, you know, processional. And everybody just turned and looked at me and I just turned red. And I was like, can you just let me do it? You like, <laughs> it was this horn, you know, this big entrance. And and I, I just led my section. I was like, please don't watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Just look at me. We, we should we're have had you. My tempo.
0: We should have had you in our Harry Potter show back in the. Well, and you know,
4: John Williams borrows a lot of some of those motifs, like the clock scene in the third film is very Uh, Prokofiev-Cinderella, you know? Yeah,
0: well, he comes in for, you know, on, on, on one side, it's praise for the way that he uses and incorporates you know, the, the material from different composers into his scores. And on the other hand, he gets criticized yeah. for that because they're <laughs> like, oh, it's not original or whatever. But everything that he does is done with such craftsmanship mm-hmm. and brilliance, really, the way... I mean, he may draw on other composers, but the way that he puts it together is so much in the spirit of what the movie is doing at any given moment and it really makes the film. Mm-hmm. I mean you know what if star wars instead of beginning with that huge brass fanfare began with you know something else like a little f- woodwind flourish and they were like oh here comes a spaceship and what have you <laughs> i mean i mean the way that he does it is is just so majestic and grand Now, Enrico, I have to ask, and I know that uh, the answer is yes, or should be yes, and just say yes. Um, Have you seen these movies that you're conducting music from?
2: I have. And to be honest, it it was only because I knew I was conducting Psycho that I actually forced myself to watch it at that point, because I had not seen it, to be honest. I'm, I'm not a big, either scary or horror film kind of person, which is what I was really expecting from psycho yeah. um, and was pleased to now report back that I really loved the movie and thought it was great. Um, yeah, What's your favorite the, part? The... <laughs> oh gosh. Not, not um... to put you on
0: the spot.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, I think because of all the hype of the murder scene, I, I was just really, on edge waiting for that moment to finally appear so i could finally tell my friend oh yes i get the references or, i understand what's going on yeah. so looking back i think that's probably still my favorite yeah.
0: part.
2: and and then in doing research about the film i didn't realize that it took them three days of filming to, to put together that one sequence
0: right well it seems like it's very uh carefully choreographed right right that's great. Well, we don't have a lot of time left, but I did assemble a quiz because uh, the one thing that we didn't talk so much about was the usage of classical music in the movies. So this occurs mm-hmm. rather often. Uh sometimes, you know, it's done to great effect. Sometimes it, a character in the movie is actually playing an instrument, right? So the yeah, music like Merwin. <laughs> yeah, well, Merwin, is, is, as we know, he is a member of the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, part of the string quartet that played in The Avengers. Um, we've talked that to death, so we're not going to talk about it today. <laughs> so
4: I, I wonder, do you think um, using classical music, pre-existing classical music in film, was a cost-cutting measure, or is it really a creative
0: um, Well. It depends. I mean, like, for instance, the uh, I was going to say the Roadrunner. No, the Lone Ranger theme, w- which yeah. comes from uh, William Tell by Rossini, right? They used that on the radio, first of all, because they didn't have to pay any royalties mm-hmm. to a composer. A- and then it became, you know, iconically associated with the Lone Ranger, Hi Ho Silver, <laughs> that kind of thing. So I-, I think that plays a bit of a role in it as well. But other times, I mean... You know, uh, directors do these things where they say to their composers, make it sound like this, right? They give them a track where they assemble different pieces of music and they say, I I want it to sound like this. But I think some directors, somebody like Stanley Kubrick, you know, just goes for the source. He says, boy, it would sound great here with, you know, a little Johann Strauss II illustrating Mm -hmm. this this ballet in outer space kind Mm -hmm. of thing. So he just goes to using the actual, uh, music. So I think it depends on, on, on the source. It depends on the director of the film. Anybody else want to talk? Because I'm, I'm talking an awful lot here.
3: <laughs> well, one of, one of my absolute favorite, um, soundtracks is from the movie, There Will Be Blood.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, Johnny Greenwood. Yeah, exactly.
3: 2006, 2007, something like that. And, um, and so with Johnny Greenwood and like just the amazing um, sound worlds that he, he creates in Radiohead, um, he cr- he creates a lot of new music. He gets, he gets inspired by Penderecki, but then at the very, very end of the movie, all of a sudden, it's just the, like an, a totally unaltered version of the third movement of Brahms's violin right, concerto, right. and it just... Smacks you in
0: the face after Daniel Day Lewis is yeah. killed. As you know, spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler <Yeah>. alert. <laughs> Again, exactly. if you haven't seen the movie, turn off <laughs> your radio. No, <laughs> at the very end, after his murderous rampage, he's like, "I'm finished," and all of a sudden, you hear d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d d
3: d d d d d d d d d d d d d d It's just an amazing use of classical music that, I mean, you know, whether or not it was royalty free is completely, I mean, it's just the absolute perfect use.
0: Once again, classical music associated with murder and carnage, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that occasionally happens in the film. Um, I'm going to do a little quiz, and we may have to push this off into the podcast version of the show, but uh, I... I think it'd be fun to do this and see how we do. It, it is called Mozart in the Movies Quiz. And so what I've got here are different movies that use the music of Mozart, and I'm going to give you clues as to what the film is, right? So you have to tell us the name of the film. I've got three different clues, so I'll go through them, uh, you know, sequentially, depending on if you get it or not. Let me pull up a little music here. See if you recognize this. Mm-hmm. Okay, this film is a tragedy. It's about a tightrope walker. It's a Swedish film. Anybody got it? What? It gave its name to the Mozart piano concerto we're hearing right now.
3: Elvira Madigan?
0: Elvira Madigan, yes. <clears throat> this oh,
4: another another upstaging by Merwin. <laughs> Merwin is I back. Like I, I, I every...
3: watch tightrope a lot in my day. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> playing the violin, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, people still call this piano concerto the Elvira Madigan concerto, even though it was used in the 1960s for this, this film. Um, so a bit of a musical anachronism there. Anyway, moving on. This German film depicts the tragic transformation of a respectable professor into a cabaret clown and his descent into madness. Anybody got that? A German film about a professor going crazy. Not to be confused with the Navy's Flight Demonstration Squadron.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, I really was hoping that every answer to this quiz was just going to be Amadeus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> 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 All
0: right, I'll give I, that I to Enrico. I also
4: had hoped there would be a musical example for each film.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> gonna give that to Enrico even though it's wrong. <laughs> it, it, it made a star out of Marlena Dietrich, who sang her signature song in it, "Falling in Love Again." Dee, de, 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 de. You don't know that? Uh-huh. Okay. No. The Blue Angel, 1930, uses Papageno's aria from uh, The Magic Flute. Oh. Okay.
4: Next. Here's the next one. <laughs> this
0: I actually I can bring in some of the music for this movie. Okay. This film featured an Oscar nominated score by Elmer Bernstein, which was based on The Marriage of Figaro. It opens with this overture, but all the music in the movie is sort of based on and around the Marriage of Figaro opera. It was originally meant to star Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder. Mm. So it's a comedy. It's about an upper class commodities broker and a poor street hustler. Oh, this is Zach would be so bad yeah. enough for not right. doing this. Dan Aykroyd. An Eddie Murphy film.
1: <laughs>
0: okay, I'm giving that to Enrico. That's Trading Places. Remember Trading uh, Places? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I can hear
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you can hear it in your no, mind.
3: I I I I I can hear Zach shouting at us. <laughs> oh okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, this movie takes place in outer space. The music by Mozart is actually part of the plot, not just a soundtrack. It, it's the romance from his uh, Little Night Music.
4: Oh, 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 uh oh. <laughs> is Bruce Willis in it? No.
0: Oh, All right. <laughs> the Sigourney Weaver is.
4: Uh, alien. alien.
2: <laughs>
0: okay, I'm giving that to Enrico.
4: I totally (laughs) said it first. Um,
2: (laughs) You know, a lot of these are before my time. (laughs) I I do deserve this advantage. Thank you. Yes,
0: absolutely. We're letting you start. I've never seen the Alien
4: films. I've seen tidbits, but.
0: Here's a movie that also featured Mozart's music (laughs) as part of the plot. It's played by the lead character. Uh, the music is Mozart's Sonata Facile, or the Easy Sonata, because the character who plays it is at his very first piano lesson. Anybody got an idea? Okay. He's at his very first piano lesson, but he actually takes hundreds of piano lessons, all of them within the span of a 24-hour day. Nope. The, the day keeps repeating.
4: Groundhog Day? Groundhog Day.
0: Yeah. I'm giving that to Enrico.
2: Okay.
0: Here's a good one. Based on a German language thriller about a doctor who suffers psychological trauma after his wife confesses to having had sexual fantasies involving another man. The Mozart clip in this film is briefly heard before it morphs into a piece by Georgie Ligeti. Oh, I've watched Yeah, you got it. Yay! Excellent. Uh, I'll give that to Enrico. Okay. <laughs> I, I think, you know, right now we've got, seriously, we've got Merwin has two, Enrico has one, two, three, four. Um, should we keep going or should we I just feel call like it? I think I've been robbed of this <laughs> quiz. <laughs> I, I, think, I think we should just call it. <laughs> All it for Enrico. And for Vanessa, I'll give you a cheer too. Yay!
4: <laughs> Thanks, guys. Okay.
0: I thought you would appreciate that. Well, it's an interesting discussion. I mean, we have a lot to talk about that we, we could just keep going and going. But is there anything, Enrico, that you want folks to know about this concert in particular, uh, what they're going to experience when they tune in? Uh,
2: I mean, what I really think is great about this program is that because it spans so many decades, it's a great concert for audiences of all ages. I mean, there's something in it for everyone. There will probably be a couple scores that you've maybe never heard before and then some all-time classics. And and that's true for someone who's, you know, watched movies and appreciated cinema from the 20s and 30s all the way through people who just watched some of the most recent Disney movies that were released a couple of years ago. So
1: yeah. it's,
2: it's really a cross-generation program with some of my, and I think the orchestra's hopefully too, all-time favorite scores.
0: That's wonderful. Conductor Enrico Lopez-Yanez is, is uh, Principal Pops Conductor of the Nashville Symphony, making his way to Toledo, making his debut at the Paris style with the TSO, Saturday, January 23rd at 8 p.m. The the title of the concert is Strings from the Silver Screen, and we've talked about some of the wonderful music that's going to be on that program It is streaming online at stream.artstoledo.com. You can watch the live stream there. Also, uh, rent the concert after the fact, along with all the other offerings that the Toledo Symphony has. Uh, If you want to call up the box office, get information. That is at 419-246-8000. This program is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with our sponsor, the Toledo Symphony, with generous support from the Rita Barber Kern Foundation. You can download episodes of our program as a podcast by going to our website at wgte.org lab. You can also subscribe to us through your podcast app of choice, including Apple and Google Podcasts. And remember, you can check out all the upcoming events at the Symphony by visiting their website at ToledoSymphony.com and their various social media outlets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And again, you can find all of the TSO streaming concerts online at Stream.ArtsToledo.com. My thanks to Vanessa Gardner, Merwin Sue, and our special guest Enrico Lopez-Yanez. I'm Brad Cresswell, and this has been Toledo Symphony Lab from FM91.